This is Alumni Allowed, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. Welcome to another edition of Alumni Allowed. I'm here with Dr. Rachel Maines. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. So you pursued a doctorate in developmental psychology. Uh, What questions drove your research and how do those questions continue to shape your work today? Sure. Well, just to give some context, I started the graduate program in developmental psychology at the Graduate Center in 2009, and I graduated in 2014. And at that time, my research was focused on looking at the relationship specifically between physical activity and mental health indicators and children's academic performance and achievement outcomes. So for my dissertation research, I used uh, an already existing data set. So I did a secondary data analysis and I looked at what I just noted, the relationship between physical activity indicators and mental health indicators and the academic performance on standardized tests, specifically in elementary school age children and early adolescents. And at the time, what we found, and this relationship still holds today, if you were to look at the most recent literature, that children and early adolescents who are more physically active and score lower on a children's depression scale actually have higher academic outcomes than their counterparts. So at the time, that's what I was most focused on and interested in. And You know, the discussion section of my dissertation uh, looked at the policy implications and also the practical implications in perhaps at the time I wasn't thinking about going into this field, but clinical practice. Uh, How would you use this information to help children and families? Once I completed that work, you know, the way I was able to think about from then until now, so how many years ago was this? It's 2014 now. We're in 2022. So we're looking at almost eight years ago. You know, I wasn't able to look out and know at the time how I'd use that work today. But the way I generally do it is when I'm with a client, a child client, a parent client, a family unit client, most of the time they come into the practice that I work for and they're not thinking about academic outcomes. They're very concerned about how a child or adolescent is affected socially by the fact that they are triggered by suffering from anxiety and depressive symptoms. And in addition to how those hardships affect their social relationships, you know, I'm very clear in helping them make the connection between these struggles and their academic performance outcomes as well. Um, Because oftentimes what we find is when children are able to what I like to say is take the lid off the emotional container that fills up every week and they, you know, let out their feelings and they become more vulnerable in the therapeutic space. You know, we do see improvement 
in their academic spaces as well. So I try to make that literal connection for children and families at the beginning. And over time, we, we see it come to fruition. And we see that they improve across you know, a variety of contexts, again, not just socially, but academic as well. So your, your research was driven by this connection between physical activity and academic performance. And now you've kind of taken this connection into in, a different therapeutic space, but more focused on the, the social aspect. Your, your clients are concerned with how anxiety and depression are affecting their children and the way they're interacting with the world. So this seems to, it seems like your research can apply in so many different uh, scenarios and, and workplaces. So were there any other careers that you considered? Absolutely. When I was conducting my dissertation research and the analysis, I worked as a policy associate for the New York Academy of Medicine um, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. So I worked in the nonprofit world and I was working on at the time a grant funded by the New York State Health Department. Uh, And I went all across New York State, Rochester, Syracuse, Albany, uh, just to name a few. And I was actually putting those policy implications into practice. So that was my work in the nonprofit world. After I graduated with the PhD in 2014, I got a job as a director of policy, wellness policy and promotions at the New York City uh, Department of Education. And I, I wasn't at that job too long, a couple months. Um, and the reason was because both my work at the New York Academy of Medicine and then at the New York City Department of Education, you know, all of it was very removed from the population I had been studying for so many years, you know, as is often the case when we're analyzing data, we're doing it behind a computer screen. And I really felt like something was missing. Um, at the time, you know, I graduated with my PhD at 29. And that's not to say that as at 29, you don't know what you want to do with the rest of your life. But I still felt like there was a void even after obtaining this very, um, you know, prestigious and pristine PhD that I worked very hard for. Um, So I just had this yearning to work directly with the clients. Um, And Because of that, I decided at 30 uh, to go back to school. And I learned that in order to do that direct practice that I was yearning for, I needed some kind of a clinical license. Uh, I I researched several. So I thought about school guidance counseling, and I thought about going back for a degree in clinical psychology. But that would have been a PhD and I would have had to start all over. Um, And what I ultimately decided to do was do an accelerated 16 month program in social work. Uh, I learned that the social work license would, was first of all, very versatile. You could do case management, you could do direct practice in a therapeutic space. Um, And I decided on social work for that reason. I obtained my, what's, it's the first social work license degree. It's called the licensed master's social work. Um, of social work, rather. Uh, And, you know, in a certain way, it was kind of like starting all over. (laughs) Um, I did two internships while in the master's program, one at Lenox Hill Hospital's outpatient clinic on the child side, and one at Bellevue Hospital in their child protection center. And then once I graduated, and I was, you know, officially a licensed master of social work, I 
got a job at Bellevue Hospital. I worked in their child psych emergency room. Um, those were very acute cases. Those were with, I worked with children who came in with suicidal ideation, suicidal plans, suicidal behaviors, also self-harm behaviors such as cutting, you know, um, that's just one, uh, unfortunately. And I also started working in the, th- in a very, therapeutic space at what's called an Article 31 clinic. Um, that's the name that the state gives it. Um, the clinic I worked at was was called and is still called the Neighborhood Counseling Center in Diker Heights, Brooklyn. Very special place. Uh, accepts patients with all insurances, including straight Medicaid, and there are very specific qualifications for straight Medicaid. So it was really great training and learning because I got to work with all walks of life, not only at Bellevue Hospital, you know, that being a public hospital, we accept everyone regardless of insurance, uh, but same situation with, at the Neighborhood Counseling Center. And that was, a, that was a very special time because it was pre-pandemic and all of the counseling work was done in person. So, you know, in both my Bellevue job at the time and the Neighborhood Counseling Center job, you know, you really got to do a full body assessment of the client because we were all right there in the room and so was all the work. Um, and after that, I got promoted and moved over to a clinic called the Brooklyn, well, it's called Brooklyn Counseling Services or Brooklyn Counseling Group is also, you know, what we're known as. And again, this is all pre-pandemic. So I moved over to that clinic in 2019. And at the time, I was seeing children and families in person And some remotely, because at the time, some insurances allowed reimbursement for telehealth work. And because you had the option of in-person versus remote or telehealth with some insurances, only the most stable, less acute clients we really saw remotely. Um, And I learned a lot, again, pre-pandemic, you know, doing both the work simultaneously in person uh, and remotely. During that time, uh, the pandemic came in, you know, let's just say March, 2020. And a couple months later, I obtained the second social work license, which is called the LCSW or the licensed clinical uh, social worker certification. And that basically meant that I could then supervise other therapists And I did that for a period of time while also remaining a therapist. Um, Then I had a a little bit of of a personal note. I had a pandemic baby. Uh, I had a son in May of 2021. He'll be nine months old this week. Um, So I'm very excited. And after giving birth to him, I moved over to the administrative side. And at this point in time, I still work for Brooklyn Counseling Services. I'm a proud champion of that organization and all the wonderful work that we do and all the people we serve across New York State. We are an entire telehealth remote organization now. We We have switched over to being entirely remote. And on the administrative side, I not only work with therapists to help them with you know, critical cases and difficult cases and help them understand the successes of the not so critical cases as well. But I also uh, supervise supervisors of other therapists. Um, so those are the, the steps I took to get to where I am right now. 
Well, first of all, congratulations uh, on the birth of your son. Uh, that's Thank uh, you. incredible <laughs> to hear. And it, it seems like, you know, you've, you've taken so many interesting steps uh, in your career since your time at the Graduate Center that you, you saw things from the, the policy perspective at nonprofits mm-hmm. and in government organizations. And then you've mm-hmm. went and stepped in and saw things kind of on a, a more personal level. You're trying to just fill a certain void that you, that you were hoping to, to see in your life. You wanted to be experiencing your work on the direct uh, ground level with mm-hmm. um, helping people. And I, that's a very admirable work. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to t- take it back to your time at the Graduate Center. Sure. And, since it was so you know, crucial and in, in leading to you to where you ended up with uh, Brooklyn Counseling, Counseling Services and the, the work that you do there that you're very proud of. What role did the Graduate Center have in your intellectual development how did your experiences at the GC transform you into the senior clinical supervisor that you are today? Sure. Uh, I was very fortunate when I was at the Graduate Center. Um, at the time, so I, as you have noted and I have noted, um, my, my PhD is in psychology, but I was with the developmental, it was called a sub-program at that point. Since then, there's been a restructuring. But at that point, I was in the sub-program of developmental psychology. And I was very fortunate because a woman named Dr. Maureen O'Connor was the executive officer of psychology, and she was responsible in collaboration with Tracy Revinson and uh, Dr. Tracy Revinson and many other people in the restructure. But Dr. Maureen O'Connor okayed it that a non- developmental sub-program, this is getting a little confusing, but I'll get to the point in a minute. She approved that a professor of psychology in a different sub-program, so she approved that Dr. Tracy Revinson with the health psychology sub-program, I believe, and Tracy was also with social personality at the time. We had many different sub-programs, but she, she approved that Tracy be my chair, and at the time, um, I was an anomaly in that way, because if you're with the developmental program, you have a chair of your committee who's with the developmental program. But Tracy and I formed a special relationship early on in my uh, graduate center student career, and she saw something very special in me. And I, uh, she, you know, she could talk more about this, but what she saw was that I had interests across these subprograms, and she suggested that my committee be very interdisciplinary. And maybe that's, I mean, I haven't, I don't have any colleagues who are still students at the Graduate Center. Maybe that's commonplace now, but it didn't used to be that way. So it was novel that I had this very interdisciplinary committee and I'll uh, name off who they are because they're all still very special and important uh, people in my life. So uh, Dr. Tracy Revinson was my chair. She was with the health psychology program. The members of my committee were Dr. Martin Ruck. Um, he uh, was and is uh, with the developmental psychology program, the strongest developmental psychologist um, I'll ever know. And the third committee member was Dr. Kevil Fredrickson, who at the time was the chair of the PhD nursing program at the graduate center. She has since moved on from that role. And because I had this, in my opinion, fabulously interdisciplinary committee, 
I had a fab- fabulously interdisciplinary <laughs> dissertation. And, you know, more than that, they, they really helped me develop the critical thinking skills and the problem solving skills that I have used across, you know, the different career points I've had since being there. Uh, I just want to make a note. He wasn't on my committee, but I also had the most excellent training from Dr. Gary Winkle, who was with the environmental psychology program at the time. He has since retired and he is responsible for all of my research methods and statistics training. That is how not necessarily my GC experiences transformed me into the work I do now, but that's why I think the way I think now. And I have all of these different people to thank for it. Um, They really helped me look at every angle um, and through every lens in order to do the work I did then, which I happen to think turned out pretty well. And now, you know, in my view, it really took a village to, and takes a village still to help a researcher understand all the different contexts involved in both planning the research and understanding the findings themselves. Um, Now, in terms of the transformation, like how did these graduate center experiences transform me into the work I do now? I mean, I'll do my best to make that link, but really based on everything I just said about the interdisciplinary promote uh, approach, excuse me, um, that I was fortunate enough to be able to take while in the program, really taught me the problem-solving skills, the critical thinking skills that I honestly use daily, whether I'm advising on a therapeutic approach or making a referral to a higher level of care if that's needed, or um, thinking through you know, how to help a clinician, let's say, empathize with a client or a client population due to their station in life or life circumstances. You know, my graduate center experiences really helped me develop those critical thinking skills that I needed and continue to need to question why and how I do what I do every day. So the interdisciplinary approach really provided you this basis of these skill sets and critical thinking that assist you on the job, able to overcome the sort of many challenges that I would imagine that you face um, and the difficulties of um, working in such a hard position. So what were some of the challenges you encountered as you transitioned to working in your position today, but in the mental health field in general? When I graduated with my degree in social work and I started working, so I had done an internship at Bellevue Hospital in their child protection center, but then I started working in their child psych emergency room. It's called child CPEP. That's how they refer to it. And this is how the, the inter, interdisciplinary approach and skills I had garnered you know, earlier in my graduate center experiences um, helped me identify this challenge in particular. This was the chief one. You know, a child would come into the emergency room uh, presenting with sometimes a host of symptoms, um, as I noted earlier, related to suicidal ideation, behavior plan, self-harm behaviors for younger children. When I say younger, nine and younger, let's just say for argument's sake, sometimes it doesn't present as explicitly. The problems are um, more oppositional in acting out behavior because the very younger children externalize their problems. They don't internalize them, let's say, as adolescents do. But what kept happening time and time again is the child would become 
the identified patient. So the child would be the one who's presenting and sort of is the, the problem person. And honestly, all the time, I, I won't even say nine times out of 10, you know, 100% of the time, it's not a child problem because the child exists in an environmental, family, social, academic context. And I think the most important context I just named was the family context. You know, if a child is undergoing um, a struggle that's hard for the child to understand, it's not just happening because it's happening to that child. Something is happening within the family system. And it was very frustrating oftentimes to do these referrals when children would get discharged from the emergency room I, I worked in. You know, they'd get discharged with referrals for individual therapy. But unless you work with the family as a whole, you're not going to get to, in my professional opinion, the root of the struggle that the family is really facing, which oftentimes is responsible for why the child is internalizing or externalizing their own struggle. So that was a huge challenge. And, you know, because I had this uh, long history of education behind me. What did I do with that challenge? I decided to get more education. I thought that would be helpful and it's been extremely helpful. So around the time that I transitioned from the neighborhood counseling center, that, that article 31 clinic and Brooklyn counseling services, I also started a program at the Ackerman Institute uh, near Tribeca in the city, actually in the Flatiron District. And I participated in their family and couples postgraduate training program. And it was phenomenal. Uh, I was able to work with a family in front of a one-way, uh, one-way? I'll be okay. I think it's a two-way mirror if I'm describing this correctly, where I had a group of clinicians and a supervisor behind the mirror and they were watching me with the family and they would call the phone in the room that I was in with the family. They would make suggestions in terms of like how to, you know, what, what questions to ask in session. It was, it was the best training. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, I don't think they've returned to those offices with those mirrors and they're doing everything remotely, uh, which is more difficult in, in my opinion. Uh, so I was able to sort of face that challenge by getting additional training in family therapy. And when I work with children and families, yes, maybe according to our electronic medical record, you know, the child is the patient, but in the way I do the work and advise on this work with other clinicians and supervisors, the child is never um, the patient. It's all happening within a family context and you know, you're missing a huge opportunity and really doing the child or adolescent, whoever you're working with, a disservice if you're not working directly with the caregivers as well. So you've made it clear that education and training is so critical for understanding the problems that you deal with in this kind of background and understanding the child and the family context in which they're operating, that without this sort of background in education and in training that you would not be able to do the sort of work uh, that you're doing today. Current students are going through the same process right now where they're learning that sort of information so that they can take uh, the next step in their careers. So what uh, would you recommend to current graduate students interested in pursuing a career in the mental health field? 
Yeah. Um, the first thing I would do is to do your research about the different kinds of licenses that are involved in working in the mental health field if you want to go into direct practice. Um, so that was a step I had to take post PhD. And in retrospect, I think I should have done that research if I had realized earlier on that I wanted to do the direct practice work. In retrospect, it would have been very helpful if I had done it sooner. So I would do the research about how a certain kind of license, because in doing direct practice, you absolutely need one, is going to help you achieve your career goals. There are several. Um, There's the clinical psychology license, which if I'm not mistaken, you do need a PhD, or you can get the PsyD option. That's a doctorate in clinical psychology without the dissertation. Uh, There's the social work degree, which I chose the most versatile. Uh, There's a newer license called license for mental health counseling. You could also be a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, There are many different options. So if you're interested in pursuing a career, or a job to start in mental health, I would absolutely do the research on the different types of licenses that are available, what's involved in obtaining them, and most importantly, what can you do with this license? I picked, as I noted earlier, I picked social work because it's extremely versatile. But if I had been starting from when I was 25, it's possible instead of going to the, into the developmental program, it's possible I would have gone into the clinical psychology PhD program. That's the first thing I would recommend to students. The second and maybe more important is just to be open to so many different kinds of directions that, you know, your degree program or people you meet can open up for you. It's not that I wasn't open. I just wasn't as educated and aware as I could have been, you know, let's say a decade ago. And having the sort of bird in my head or on my shoulder more appropriately say, well, have you really thought about this? Have you really thought about this? Have you really thought about this? Um, You know, I can be kind of stubborn at times. And when I want to do something, I just go do that. And I wish I had been more open to possibilities, Um, not just with a developmental psychology degree, but, you know, with, with many other kinds of degrees that I was considering, you know, even before I decided to pursue the PhD at age 25. So I would, I think maybe more importantly, in some ways than researching what license you'd like to obtain, just be open to so many different directions. That's probably why I, you know, put my toe in the pool of nonprofit and then government and then ultimately, you know, mental health agency work to really find find my home, which I'm so glad I've I found it. And maybe the third is along the way of testing out these different kinds of avenues or organizations to work for. Just be kind to everyone. Just be kind to every single person who comes into your path. Uh, I do believe that you know, being kind will help you jump from maybe lily pad to lily pad or, or up the stairs, you know, metaphorically. Um, you know, you never know who, who can help you achieve whatever your next goal is, whatever it is, whenever you have it. Um, so, you know, research the license, be open to absolutely everything and be kind. I've learned that 
most recently from uh, my current mentor, Dr. Nicoletta Pallotta uh, at Brooklyn Counseling Services. She's our chief, our executive director, our owner, and um, I take I take her lead in that way um, every day. Those sound like really great pieces of advice to me. And even though I'm in a different field, I think it's uh, <laughs> applicable to me as well. So I'll definitely take that uh, into consideration. And I just want to thank you um, so much uh, once again for joining us on Alumni Allowed. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you, everyone.